0: You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, and you're listening to 21st Century Radio. Learn more about us at www.21stcenturyradio.com with our author and longtime guest of all of our programs, Dr. Larry Dalsey. His most recent book, a 2009 Dutton release entitled The Power of Premonitions, How Knowing the Future Can Shape Our Lives, is the uh, focus of our discussion this portion of the program. And Larry, it's always a pleasure to hear your voice and share some time together.
1: What? sure good to hear yours, too, Zoe. it's great to be back.
0: Thanks so much, and I'm so glad this is your latest contribution. And before we get going, I have to tell people, if they're looking for the best appendix on the issue of premonitions, I'd say your 60-page appendix in your book, The Power of Premonitions, just makes it possible for somebody to take the issue seriously.
1: Well, you know, uh, I'm kind of fussy about that because uh, this is a controversial topic, and to tell you the truth, I really get tired of hearing skeptics say there's no evidence.
0: Yeah. Well, you <laughs> put so that this to rest. Is sort of
1: a defensive move on my part. And also, I hope it uh, helps educate people.
0: No, I think it's beautifully done. And uh, that's been one of the challenges, really, in much of the mystical literature and in sort of the new genre of consciousness is the lack of footnotes and the lack of endnotes and the lack of a decent bibliography. It's just what people feel. So I, I think that what you've contributed has this long-lasting impact. And I, as a scholar, appreciate that. But let's get to the heart of it, because you have a long legacy of sort of leading the charge in people understanding there's more to healing than mechanics. So maybe share with our audience, Larry, for those that may not know Dr. Dulce's dossier, a little bit about yourself and how you got there.
1: Well, I uh, started out on this journey, uh, which really involves a fascination for consciousness and how it manifests in the world. Uh, very early in my life, I, uh, uh, I I actually never remember not being interested in these things. Uh, and uh, when I was in medical school, I uh, began to look at consciousness-related research which had clinical relevance, uh, particularly in the late 1960s. Biofeedback was coming on board. Uh, people were beginning to get the courage to use that that uh, word meditation, and uh, back in those days, this was not really easy to do, but I knew that it had clinical relevance. I had experienced it in my own life and saw it in the lives of my patients, and uh, it's been a sort of a, a nonstop journey that has taken me through the research surrounding the role of prayer and healing intentions uh, with, a, uh, I'm happy to say, a New York Times uh, uh uh, list uh, book, uh, Healing Words, which you and I have talked about before.
0: Yes, absolutely. And uh,
1: also, uh, uh, the, this latest fascination, which has to do with knowledge of the future. Uh, I'm convinced that uh, the evidence is compelling. i followed it for uh, many, many years. Uh, this book has been about uh, seven or eight years in the writing. And I just uh, thought that it was time, based on not just people's stories, though, but uh, also the scientific evidence. I thought it was time to come forward and put my name on a book uh, uh, of this sort.
0: When you look at, we, of course, on our programs all together, we've interviewed people like Rupert Sheldrake and David Bohm and, you know, people who have really pioneered our our, not only our understanding, but our language with which we can have a shared and intelligent discussion about what actually is the field of consciousness that makes these things happen. How is it that a human can get information either through a dream or a feeling or a sensory awareness about their own future? So let's talk a little bit about the science, Larry, as both a a physician and as a researcher and also a scholar, I have to say, about these fields. What are the outstanding elements that you think that give us hints about why the human is designed to do this and its role in our human, sort of our, I guess one could say, our human experience.
1: Well, I think most uh, most of the uh, reasons that uh, we were gifted with this uh, ability these days has to do with their long evolutionary history. Uh, I think we're by this time genetically endowed with a sense to be a little bit beyond ourselves in space and a little bit ahead of ourselves in time. Uh, uh, which enables us to know the future, uh, usually just in time to uh, make a difference. And by making a difference, I mean uh, this, uh, this ability helps us survive. Uh, if you can imagine uh, early on in the history of our species, uh, any organism that would have developed a little uh, ability to see even slightly ahead would have a survival advantage. And this is just a hugely important concept in evolutionary biology. Uh, it would help a, a an organism survive uh, more frequently if he could anticipate upcoming dangers, and uh, therefore it would be uh, an advantage in procreation. And uh, if I mean, those are the two magic words: survival and procreation, from an evolutionary biological standpoint. And uh, if uh, this. Capacity developed in human beings, it would more than likely become genetically internalized, so that by now we are probably hardwired genetically uh, for this ability. Uh, I must say, we do a pretty good, darn good job of uh, denying
0: it yeah, uh, or of suppressing it when it shows up in our culture, in our children, or in ourselves. You know, if, at the water cooler, who would dare say, "I dreamt last night such and such," and this is what happened. And of course, your book, um, Dr. Dalsey. The power of premonitions is full of real-life true stories such as there's so many instances and anybody who's followed it in Sid's cases where parents have a hunch something's wrong with their children. Let's talk about this cultural divide between those of us who know and experience premonitions or at least have faith that they're possible and those who deny its relevancy and the cost to individual life and society due to that.
1: Well, I think the cultural divide splits pretty much along the materialists and those of us who think that there's something more than just the stuff of the body and the brain. Uh, You know, if a person believes, as is the mantra now throughout most neurological sciences, that uh, consciousness is just pretty much the same thing as what's going on inside the brain, uh, then, you know, there's no place for premonitions. You rule them out from the get-go. The reason people do that, the reason they rule them out, is because the brain can't go wandering into the future and uh, su- uh, access information and bring it back to the present. It stays put on your shoulders. So this uh, this idea, with which young people, including myself, when I was coming along in college and university and medical school, uh, we're dragooned with that idea, so that by the time we get uh, into our professional lives, then there's just no place for. Acquisition of knowledge from the future—we know ahead of time that it's uh, that it's uh, theoretically implausible, and therefore, to heck with any evidence to the contrary.
0: And yet, a you know, major
1: divide.
0: I, and I was going to say, I'm sorry to cut you short. There is John Peterson of the Arlington Institute, who makes a profession of advising our government and military, has very much focused on the future, and he's he's looked at how we guesstimate, and so that's a sort of rational science about collecting information to guesstimate the future. What you're talking about, though, is something that almost spontaneously comes to us. Though I and I think many of us have found there's a conditioning of that field, both in the person's belief system in the quietness of their mind. And, and I also think there's a level of humility that goes along with it. And certainly the history of prophecy shows us, and this is an element of it, that prophecy was for the particular purpose of either averting a natural disaster, a national calamity, or for bringing people back to unity consciousness. So I'd like to pick up on that theme of why it is that this temperament for exclusivity and a sort of tendency or desire for inclusivity might have something to do with who has these premonitory experiences and who doesn't.
1: Well, if you think about what this entails uh, with uh, premonitions, uh, the thing that uh, really helps us get in that space to experience these sorts of things is a sense of oneness and unity with uh, all there is. Now. That, uh, that's a big, rotund, robust statement, but it's basically, it basically lies at the heart of the mystical experience across the ages. Uh, now, uh, the ability to know what's going on with someone else, uh, such as the situation you've already mentioned, the mother-child uh, bond, uh, or the mother-child archetype, as Jung uh, called it, uh, entails a, a, a oneness and a unity between mother and offspring. And if you look at the themes, the great themes that run through premonition stories, uh, this is the most common one of all, uh, the mother-child relationship. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, premonitions about someone else's uh, predicament or the impending problems for uh, another problem, which people pick up on in terms of premonitions, also occur very frequently, not just between parents and children, but also between lovers uh, between siblings, particularly identical twins, mm-hmm. and uh, very, very close friends. I happen to think that you cannot understand the landscape of premonitions without really making a place for bondedness, unity, oneness, empathy, altruism. All of those words that connote the breaking of boundaries between different individuals.
0: Mm-hmm. And and when you describe it, so I'm sitting here thinking, all right, so our bodies are receivers and our souls amplify what it's received and our mind interprets. And oftentimes the mess up is not that the body hasn't worked as the proper antenna and the soul hasn't amplified the message. It's the mind gets in the way of interpreting. And that's what Ingo Swan has always said about remote viewing and all things of sort of the what he calls bio-mind superpowers, which... Yep premonition is part of. So share with us, for instance, I mean, there are instances like in random generator experiments that we've talked about on the program where people seemingly though in incoherent state are actually very coherent in what's happening at a subconscious level. Before 9-11, there were people having dreams, promontory dreams of what's to come. So here we have an instance of these antenna folks coming up with this information, but what do we do with it?
1: Yeah, well, I'll never forget uh, uh, shortly after 9-11 when I was really uh, tuned into trying to uh, marshal evidence stories about premonitions. I just decided one day to Google dreams of 9-11. I came up with 12 million hits. Uh, it's, it's astonishing. I mean, uh, I've spent days reading about uh, these uh, experiences that people have posted. Uh, some of them were so... Moved by these things, they develop videos, and you can find some of these now even on YouTube. Uh, This is something we, I think, shamefully neglected uh, before, uh, and even after 9-11. Many people do not want to look at this, but I think we really ought to. I'll tell you one weird thing that came out of uh, 9-11, which no one really has been able to explain, uh, without invoking premonitions. Uh, it's the fact that those four doomed planes, uh, which most people seem to think were just you know full of people, uh, full of passengers, and all crashed. Those four doomed planes were eighty percent empty. Oh, nine eleven. That doesn't hold for just one of them. That includes for that includes all of them. So my hunch is, uh, my hit, my intuition is that a lot of people unconsciously found some reason to not travel that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that they were tapping into this innate, often unconscious uh, feeling that you know that day traveling was just not right. There was just something wrong. They just didn't feel right about traveling that day. It's not like uh, people woke up in the morning and said, "Uh oh, my plane's going to crash today." It just doesn't seem to work with that. Yeah, sometimes alone. it's not
0: a headline; it's a subtle feeling state. And and there are cultures, certainly the indigenous peoples, and and many in our historic past, which understood the value and importance, and so the shamans, of course, were trained, and sometimes in your initiatory paths, you were asked to go out and and seek your sort of spiritual identity, which I guess some could say this is part of. Look, we're gonna take a little break. When we come back, we'll continue with our discussion of a wonderful book. Really, if you all are looking and you're tired also of people saying, oh, there isn't enough evidence, this book will show you not only is there enough evidence, but it comes from many different domains psychology and science and physics and an an understanding that the power of premonitions is important. The title of the book is The Power of Premonitions, How Knowing the Future Can Shape Our Lives. The author, Dr. Larry Dalsey. Thank you for joining us. We'll be right back.
1: Hi, this is Robert Sachs. I'm the author of Tibetan Ayurveda and the book Rebirth into Pure Land. You're now listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. She's a wonderful interviewer and you're going to really enjoy whatever you're going to be hearing with her. If you want to find out more about me, you can go to my website www.robertsax.net or diamondwayayurveda.com.
0: Thank you. Let's get right back to our guest. The wonderful book The Power of Premonitions: How Knowing the Future can shape our lives. Larry, in your chapter about Ahead of Ourselves, the presentiment Experiment, you talked a little bit about Dean Radin, who has joined us on and off over the last 20 years. Share with our audience why you think his experiments were important and what they contribute to your ability to show the power of premonitions.
1: Well, I want to say first that these aren't just Dean's uh, experiments. By now, they've been replicated uh, over 20 times by Researchers all over the world, and virtually all of these studies are consistent. They point in the same direction. Uh, so let me take the listeners through this uh, quite uh, simply. Uh, you're sitting in front of a computer. You're a subject in this experiment, and uh, you're wired up to have some sort of physiological measurement made on you. It could be the uh, electrical conductivity of your skin. It could be your heart rate. Uh, it's often the diameter of your pupil, which changed changes uh, very quickly in response to stress and can be measured with great accuracy. So you're sitting in front of the computer and having these measurements made, and the computer is going to show you uh, an image which will be one of two types. Uh, It will either be an image of a beautiful, serene scene from nature, maybe a scene at the beach or something like that, or it will be a violent, gruesome image. Uh, such as perhaps an autopsy or horrible trauma, the sort of thing that would make most people just uh, uh, turn away instinctively. So you don't know what's going to uh, show up, uh, but uh, and the computer early on doesn't even know. It's going to make this choice randomly. No one involved with the experiment knows what's, what this image is going to be. So uh, here's what happens: uh, A few seconds before this image is randomly chosen and shown you shown to you on the computer screen, your body begins to change. This physiological measurement will really uh, become extreme if what you will see in the future is going to be the violent image, but much less change will be registered if it's going to be a serene image. And here's the thing. How in the world does your body know what's going to to uh, take place in the future. No one knows that. The computer hasn't even selected randomly this image. But somehow, seconds before uh, the computer makes its choice and shows this to you, your body knows and responds. This is some of the most compelling evidence I can imagine about an innate inborn premonition sense. And it has this about it also. You aren't aware of this. Your body responds on its own. This is also not just evidence, therefore, of premonition sense that's built in, but of an unconscious aspect of premonition.
0: Exactly, so that when we actually tap into how to make use of these capacities and to cultivate the conditions for them, which is certainly what prophecy is about, which I studied for a number of years and wrote a book about in terms of the female prophets of ancient Israel. And I found it so interesting that the conditions first involved this humility of kind of emptying out the ego, which Swan and others would say, emptying out the expectation and then there was this thing of surrendering the body to the impulse or the energy of the image itself and being able to hold it. One, it was so interesting, Larry, because in prophecy they would say one of the qualities required of a prophet was courage. which is basically the ability to stand up for what you've seen. And I'd say this to anybody who has a premonition, have the courage to believe in yourself. And and another was a capacity for deep imagination. Share with us this element of the imaginal mind and its ability to receive images and then our ability to have faith that they mean something.
1: I think uh, the person who was most explicit on this point uh, during the 20th century was the great Swiss psychologist Carl Jung. Uh, He didn't just merely talk about consciousness. Uh, He divided it up into several levels and layers. Uh, And uh, the the most obvious layer is the one that most people refer to about consciousness. It's personal awareness. But below the level of personal awareness is the personal unconscious. Uh, And uh, below the level, uh, going even deeper, below the level of the personal unconscious was what Jung called collective unconscious Uh, he talked about how this was so-called relativized in space and time it could uh, it wasn't confined to the future uh, or the present or the past it was all at once Uh, and also he uh, said that there there were no spatial constraints here. Mm -hmm. so this is the level I think where people tap into when they have these jaw-dropping eye-popping premonitions uh, when they do legitimate prophecy And I think you're absolutely right about emphasizing this issue of getting the ego out of the way Mm -hmm. because uh, the enemy of uh, premonition-proneness is the attempt to control and manipulate this stuff. You know, I think it's sort of like Jung once said, uh, you can't uh, demand it, you can't control it, it it doesn't work that way. We have to get down on our knees, he said, (laughs) give thanks to the universe for whatever the universe decides to present to us and i think that's right
0: on and and that's what all the spiritual traditions and all the mystic paths attempt to cultivate and and that's why i think the west doesn't like it because the west being born of materialistic science is all about the ego and all about our proclamation of control of the shared natural resources and The atomic energy and whatever it is, it has been so ego driven. So to me, books like yours and so many of the other wonderful guests we've profiled in all our shows are are showing us that there is a new humanity arising or reawakening to something that we have had with us. Throughout humankind's history. So, I, I'd like to look at that for a moment because one of the things you've written about, Larry, besides all the wonderful examples, and I, I almost like don't want to give them away <laughs> because <laughs> the stories are so much fun to read, but you do point out that vivid dreams is one role that these kind of right. premonitions um, happen in. But there's also people in the business world who use premonitions and it's different than simple hunches. And I'd like for a moment if you could qualify in what way, a premonition differs from something somebody would say, well, that's just a common feeling, a, a hunch about something.
1: Right. Well, uh, there is a uh, quality to uh, premonitory dreams that really sets them apart from ordinary dreams, and I think from this thing that people refer to uh, as intuition or just hunches. Uh, the term that people use to describe these these premonitions in dreams that turn out to be true is the, the term numinosity. They say they're numinous, by which they 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 often say they're realer than real. I mean, these are, are, are impressions that just sort of sometimes knock you in the, the stomach. They're so vivid. Uh, I remember once having a pre, premonitory dream my first year in medical practice that was, at that time, the most vivid dream I thought I'd ever had in my life. And within 24 hours, it was replayed in, in precise uh, detail. So these things are you know the the word vibe or a hunch or intuition just doesn't carry the the impact that uh, many of these uh, premonitory experiences have.
0: When you look at the many stories you've collected, and again, you know we we see instances of collective premonition, individual premonition, um, twins, premonitory simultaneity. When we look at the advantages, and as some have pointed out, even the dangers of using premonitions on a national scale. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that. And and are we as a nation, like others, um, cultivating these capacities in our youth?
1: Well, you know, this idea that we might be able to use premonitions on a national scale uh, for the the common good, and for example, predicting terrorist attacks or uh, natural disasters and so on, is just a fascinating subject. Uh, I don't know if we're up to doing that or not. I uh, I think we have a way to go. Uh, I,
0: <laughs> I think based on the fact we can't really even candidly talk about UFOs, you might be right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think back to the uh, predictions via conventional intelligence about uh, Hurricane Katrina.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, our government didn't do to put it mildly, a very good job of uh, listening to conventional intelligence. I mean, all you had to do was watch the Weather Channel to know what was going to happen, and we were at, we even ignored that at the national level. I don't know if we would listen to anybody's premonitions or not. Uh, but having said that, uh, I'd like to give a plug for John Peterson, whom he mentioned uh, earlier.
0: Yeah, of the Arlington Institute.
1: Yeah, uh, arlingtoninstitute.org, uh, if anybody's interested in this project. Uh, John, is tr- as a uh, uh, Gathered together what he calls precognizant dreamers. Uh, these are those uh, premonition prodigies who, who seem to have the knack of this and this talent developed to a, a really high degree. And he's marshalling their premonitions about upcoming uh, disasters or attacks and whatnot and has a team of analysts and uh, statisticians who are trying to find patterns within these premonitions that could be used for the common national good uh he also has on this website, Zoe, a place where people, uh, listeners, can enter their own premonitions and do so privately uh, and anonymously. So all this uh, this information goes into a huge database uh, that's analyzed and uh, attempts are made to find meaning and predictive uh, abilities here.
0: Yeah, his so, wonderful book, I think it was called Out of the Blue, as I recall, yeah. a number of years yeah. ago. We did that around, a few rounds on that work. <laughs> Which well, is, you know,
1: if people want to have some fun with this and also contribute possibly to uh, the national uh, security and the common good, you know, they can just have at it by entering their, uh, their premonitions on that website. Well, that's
0: great. www.arlington.com institute.org. And I strongly, I, you know, I agree with you. I think John has just stayed the course on something so imminently significant to actually utilize this consciousness capacity in a, a real material way that makes a difference and a demonstration. And I think the remote viewers in Swan and all of those guys um, at the SRI, Stanford Research Institute, long ago, the lab originally, um, have done something so important. And then when Edgar Mitchell sort of took that into space and brought it home again and has continued to sort of speak out there. It's, it's nice, you know, to see this mature guard actually talking publicly. Well,
1: I, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, the remote viewing uh, region or domain because that's, uh, that's another area of evidence uh, that should be added to the presentiment studies. You know, at the, the uh, Princeton Engineering Anomalies uh, Research Laboratory, where they have done over 300 remote viewing experiments, Uh, the receiver in these experiments gets the information up to a week before it's even sent. Uh, And so they have dubbed uh, these experiments not just remote viewing uh, studies, but precognitive remote viewing studies.
0: Exactly. And, And I know Russell Targ, when he recently joined us, we we're kind of joking around how I showed up to teach this one day and forgot to bring the statuette he was going to bring and just showed them the image. So while we're talking about it, I drew the image <laughs> that he <laughs> brought to them. And I said, oh, it looks like a merry-go-round, a flywheel, a free energy device. It turned out to be the Hindu goddess of Shiva. <laughs> so oh, I said, oh, she's a she's a free energy device. Oh,
1: that's, uh, that's beautiful.
0: So when you look, though, Larry, you're a physician. And, and so you talk about prayer and that you've, you pray for your patients and you have premonitions about your patients. Speak for us for a moment as a doctor and, and how this understanding and sensibility has affected your your work as a healer.
1: Well, for one thing, it's made me attuned to uh, the fact that every decent piece of clinical information isn't necessarily obtained by doing x-rays and scans and uh, laboratory tests. Uh I think that doctors, the excellent doctors, uh, the gifted diagnosticians, uh, have always used this, uh, but in modern times, they've just sort of denied and disowned it. Uh, I will never forget, as a young medical student, uh, I had three professors in particular who were wizards about this. I mean, I could not figure out how logically they would, they would come to a diagnosis. So one day, I just asked one of them flat out, how did you do that? And you know, they were embarrassed by even the question. Uh, they would try to shrug it off and just attribute it to experience and that sort of thing. But I think there's a lot of non-local knowing that goes on in every decent uh, physician. Uh, I had an interesting experience last fall when I gave a talk to several hundred doctors uh, at a Harvard Medical School-sponsored uh, course and uh, update in internal medicine, which was continuing medical education approved, and, they wanted to hear something a little different from me this year, uh, and so I decided to talk to them about consciousness and premonitions. And so they uh, wanted to know about my premonitions, and so I just told them, thinking that, boy, they're going to run me out of the room now. But the exact opposite thing happened. They began to tell me their premonitions. Mm-hmm. One woman, though, stood up, a female internist, and she said, I get numbers. She said, I see numbers in my dreams. She said, I see the exact laboratory values of my patient's lab tests before I even order them. Hmm. I think, I mean, this was telling for me because it it suggested that, you know, doctors, the really good ones, are sitting on a long laundry list of these, these kinds of experiences and given the right context, I think they they will come forward. They're they're hungry to share this but, sort of. But
0: you story. know, it's so strange to me. I I grew up. I'm. A, I was born in '54, so I'm a little younger than you, and I had the benefit of coming of age in a milieu of get rid of the old, throw out the old structure, don't believe anybody over 20, don't trust authority. And I grew up really like that. (laughs) So Uh I grew up sort of out of the box anyway, and was a black sheeper from the moment I could take my first breath. So my whole life has been open to the weird, the wonderful, the paranormal, the phenomenal. And so it always interests me what keeps a society rock solid fixed in a place that is unhealthy for itself. Well, what? if
1: I could just speak with with respect Please. to that about premonition, yeah. I think there's a social uh, a social uh, price to be paid for owning up to them. Uh, I mean, Jung wrote about this at length. Uh, particularly if you talk about premonitions, they don't turn out to be valid, and people look at you funny, you know. Uh, and it goes beyond just experiencing the ridicule factor,
0: stigma. as we call it in other fields of inquiry.
1: Right, and uh, you know, you don't have to go back so far before. You can see how we actually burn people at the stake sure. who, who, who talked about second sight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, that was one of the ways you got uh, burned at the stake uh, three, four hundred years ago. So even today, there are Look, Hitler probabilities... went
0: after the Jews precisely because he believed they had an operating magical system through Kabbalah.
2: Oh, I mean, it's, it's so much that. more
0: insidious than people suspect from an esoteric point of view of what happened to a whole civilization's awareness that we are more than bodies. But look, we're going to take another little break. When we come back, I'd I'd like, Larry, if you wouldn't mind to sort of look at the warp and weave of all of these things, because we've talked about so many different things. and, And in your book, somewhere in the middle or so, you talked about why we should want to cultivate premonitions. And I'd like to talk about that because the qualities are ones that every human can cultivate. If you've just joined us, I'm glad you're here a little late, but never too late to enjoy the wonderful contributions of our guest, Dr. Larry Dawsey. Find more about our guests on the Facebook page for 21st Century Radio. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more after this. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio. Dr. Larry Dalcy joins us. Always a pleasure. His most recent Dutton 2009 release, The Power of Premonitions How Knowing the Future Can Shape Our Lives. And you all should go to his website, www.dalcydalcy.com. That's D O S S E Y spelled twice.com. Coming back to premonitions, you know, a lot of people um, have fears. And then they'll have a dream that they may interpret a certain way and they'll go, I had a premonition that that I'll be hurt if I take this taxi. And then they don't take it and they figure, well, that must have been what saved them. And somebody else will say, well, that's just your normal fear. How do we sort through those kinds of things of what's a fear-based dream and what's a premonition of something that might be calamitous?
1: Well, it's a challenge. Uh, You know, there's no uh, meter that you can run these premonitions to to give you a direct readout about the ones you ought to pay attention to and which ones are okay to disregard.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, I've talked to hundreds of people about this very question. Uh, Most of them have rules of thumb uh, that they follow. Uh, I'll just go through some of these. One, we've already mentioned, it's the numinous quality of this. If the premonition sounds uh, or feels realer than real, and if you come away and you wake up, thinking that this may be the most vivid dream I've ever had, that should be a real clue about uh, paying attention to it. Uh, Also, uh, many Jungian analysts suggest that if you get a uh, warning of a health nature or even a warning of your own death, uh, by all means, uh, pay attention to it, because as Jung put it, you may not get a second chance. Uh, Also, if uh, these uh, premonitions are associated with bodily symptoms, and there are a great many examples in the book of this sort of thing, the association of premonition with a bodily symptom that is just really unusual for you ought to be a trigger to pay attention to these. Uh, And also, if these things are recurrent, uh, there are some cases uh, in the book where uh, people dream the the same premonitory dream for uh, every night for a year. And finally, at the end of the year, the the premonition really evolved uh, and came came true. Uh, Another rule of thumb is that if your partner or your spouse begins to have the same dream uh, uh, that you haven't told them about, I mean, if these things are shared, this is a huge clue that you ought to pay attention. Uh, So although there are no 100% surefire guaranteed ways of predicting which ones are going to come out to be true, I think these rules of thumb do help
0: one of the interesting qualities back to prophecy for a moment, this capacity for imagination, the ability to have courage, humility as well. And, and you even mentioned some of these things, this compassion, empathy, intuition. But I love this one because this is also true of the historic writings on prophecy, which premonition is a piece of. And all of us are capable of it. I mean, there's divine levels of inspiration that every human being on the planet can achieve right this instant. But you said comfort with chaos and disorder. And I have to say how much I appreciated this edition.
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kind of a, 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 a disorder and chaos junkie, to tell you the truth. Yeah. And I, I would add one other uh, quality to that, and that's, that's an appreciation for mystery. Uh, Absolutely. You know, uh, standing in those places where you don't demand clarity, you just, uh, you know, clear your mind and you you simply declare yourself open to the revelations that the universe will give you. That's the place to be if you want to be premonition-prone. Uh, the worst place is to, to demand uh, that these things serve you on uh, on your commands and uh, that they be non-symbolic, that they really mean what they say and that sort of thing. That just is the enemy of uh,
0: Right. uh, Of all intuitive arts, basically. And and I want to return to that then again, because here you've come from an extremely disciplined material science medicine. You've had your training. You've had a lifetime of treating others. You're a spokesperson for understanding that there is more to life than the mechanics of a body and there's more to consciousness than the function of a brain. How have things changed in your lifetime in this work? And, And in writing the book, how did it change you?
1: Well, uh, I, I've had a freshening of my uh, intuitive uh, premonition sense uh, since I've become immersed, I mean, completely immersed in this book. Uh, and, and interestingly, there's some research that uh, validates that sort of experience. Uh, uh, there's one study now at the University of Colorado where people were exposed deliberately to people's premonitions and were... Presented with the evidence that uh, that premonitions are real, for example, the presentiment experiments that we talked about by Dr. Dean Radin, and then they were subjected to these premonition tests. Right. And after exposure to this sort of stuff, they scored uh, at a superior level. Mm-hmm. So there's evidence that we can invite premonitions in our life uh, by attending to the information that we expose ourselves to, and I think even to the People that we decide to affiliate with, you know, some of the most down times in my life have been in situations in medicine where I uh, am sort of a <laughs> a captive uh, uh, to all of this uh, depressive, negative stuff that right. uh, uh, that that we're assured is the way the world works. And you know, I have had periods in my life where I've had to escape from that, from that uh, deliberately, and take a vacation and read. The, elevating transcendental uh, materials to regain my footing. Uh, so I think that we should uh, pay attention to who we uh, uh, consort with and the uh, information that we expose ourselves to. It can make you more premonition-prone if you do it in the right way.
0: No question about it. I remember in one of my discussions with the Spindroof Institute when they were recounting the mung bean and other experiments and the the. Biles, I think were their name a father and son who have both since That's passed right. on and they were talking about that the the prayers that worked the most were the ones that said thy will be done yeah. it wasn't about oh fix aunt jane or you know gosh get me a new job or find me a husband or a wife it was dear lord thy will be done you know bring me to the yeah. to the best divine order and and so in in looking at this paradigm shift that is actually becoming part of our culture, which is such a thrill. I mean, Dr. Bob and I, like yourself and so many of us, have been so far out on the edge for so long, and now it's on TV. Yep. <laughs> you know, now there's television shows about ghosts and Bigfoot and UFOs and all these things that we were ridiculed for for so long, and now there's people with very little knowledge making millions of dollars, giving out bad information some of the time, but on the other hand, it's come of age. So, when we look at when things come of age i I have a hunch of my own you know as a as a broadcaster covering foreign affairs, I used to get information through my dreams about world affairs, and so people developed this refrain of Zoe' right. I was constantly predicting the future five and ten years out, not because I 'm a historian and not because I'm an economist though I had to be in all those fields it's because I'm a lucid dreamer and a meditator and I use and so one time when I told a story about these stinger missiles being on the open market in Zagreb Croatia and the war there was all about the uranium mines I got a call from the military wanting to know who was feeding me information and they came and visited and I had to explain that I was getting information from my dreams and intuition that I see patterns and I just put them together so for a person in the listening audience who says yeah i'm a pattern watcher too and i see things how how can a an average person listening make intuition make premonitions a, a, a great joy in their life
1: well uh, there are always to invite them and I, I want to emphasize this term invitation uh, we can set the stage for them and invite them in our lives but we can't compel them so that's the major uh precaution that we ought to keep in mind i think Uh, beyond that if people wanted to adopt one behavior or a discipline that would make them more premonition prone uh, it would have to be meditation you just mentioned that you were a meditator Uh, that's not accidental that you have this uh the highly developed facility and that you meditate Uh, dean radin uh, in his online precognition tests which have now been taken by millions of people in practically every country from all over the world has uh, correlated people's psychological and uh, behavioral characteristics with their success on these tests. The behavior that floats to the top, and this is not even close, there are no close contenders, is meditation. So it, it just simply involves a discipline where we sit down, clear our minds, empty our minds, and in gratitude and humility ask the universe to present these things.
0: One of the things about prayer, and we've done many, many shows over the years about the power of prayer and the inner technology of prayer, is this ability to know that each of us is part of something much bigger, but that it is a oneness in it. And and from my experience, Larry, over the years when I was covering foreign affairs, I got very angry. I was an angry activist to begin with. I just became angrier until the fire burned me up. It really did. And, And I Thank God for it because then I had this experience of the creator directly and went and studied prophecy and had this wonderful last seven or eight years of this work that hasn't been covering the world. And I I find a different kind of peace. And yet at the same time, I understand, and I think I want to, the reason I bring it up is that when you mentioned there are times you you need to take a break from the engagement and community and direct service, that's what I had to do too. Yeah. And I think our culture oftentimes doesn't let people um, see the importance of that. Somehow or other they feel that it's a failure. And I'd just like to say that it's a really important ingredient to wellness.
1: I couldn't agree more. Also, I'd like to add that uh, when some people experience these very vivid uh, uh, premonitions that come true, they often experience an epiphany. And I think this is so instructive. A lot of people for the first time since this oneness and unity with all things through time that's implied by a valid premonition and their lives just seem more powerful and complete and meaningful so i think there are all sorts of spiritual implications of premonitions though that go far beyond their practical benefits
0: well, in yet another blockbuster book of yours, you have made a just a magnificent contribution to the field, not just because it's you, though it is you. And I want to thank you for the precision and the clarity and the carefulness with which you documented your stories.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that, and I deeply thank you for it.
0: Dr. Larry Dawsey's book, again, The Power of Premonitions, How Knowing the Future Can Shape Our Lives, a Dutton 2009 release. Don't forget you can contribute your premonitions to John Peterson at the website www.arlingtoninstitute.org. And follow Larry as he trails around the country blazing new ways at www.dossydossi, D-O-S-S-E-Y spelled twice, dossydossi.com.